Hello. Today we're starting a new series called Out of the Wilderness, and the title of this first message is Moses is Dead. This is actually the first message I've done with people in the room since the 8th of March, so four months of just speaking to a camera. And uh, it was very weird speaking to a camera and learning how to do that and how different that was. And it's going to be a bit weird now speaking in a room with people in because that's going to feel weird again and I'm not quite sure how this will go. It's complex. And actually the world as a whole has got so complicated over the last three or four months. Everything is complicated. Church life is really complicated. And our sense of Everything, our, our knowledge, our lack of knowledge has been cruelly exposed. It's true for us personally, it's true for the scientists, it's true for the politicians. And so at this time, we really do need to look to the Lord to help us. And I think a really obvious story and a helpful story for us to look, look at is the story of the exodus of the people coming out of Egypt into the wilderness and then out of the wilderness into the promised land. Now, they had been, the people of Israel had been in the lockdown of slavery in Egypt, and Exodus meant freedom. It meant coming out of slavery, coming out of Egypt, but it didn't mean coming into utopia. Uh, they left Egypt, they left slavery, but they didn't enter utopia. They didn't enter paradise. Actually, what they entered was complexity, and we see that from the beginning, that soon after they come out of Egypt and cross the, the Red Sea, they're meant to enter into the promised land. That doesn't happen because they mess it up. And through the 40 years of the wilderness, and then once they finally get into the land, and, they, uh, and the story is told in the book of Judges, things just seem to get more and more complex, more and more messy. And it's been a bit like that for us in this process. At the start of coronavirus, at the start of the lockdown, I think many of us probably thought it would be over much more quickly, and that when it finished, it would be back to something much more like normal. We thought perhaps that schools would, yeah, they'd close down for a while, but then they'd all be back. We thought that Park Run would be back, a thousand people running around Paul Park on a Saturday morning again. Why not? We thought the church would be back to normal, rooms full of people, doing kids' ministry, all the stuff we normally do. Um, we were planning street parties. And what we found in reality is it's not like that at all, that coming out of lockdown is far more complex than getting into it. The Israelites might have thought that a couple of weeks out of Egypt, they'd be in the promised land. Instead, they had 40 messy years in the wilderness, followed by more messy years when they actually did manage to get into the promised land. Now, in 1 Corinthians, in the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, Paul talks about how the experience of the Israelites in the wilderness is an example for us and our plan is to use the next few weeks to look at this story, the story of the Exodus, to help teach us. And it's a good story for us because I do believe that actually things are going to become more complex for us over these next six weeks rather than less. We might think that it's going to get simpler. I think it's going to get more complicated, more challenging. There's going to be more uncertainty. We might even find ourselves longing for the simplicity of lockdown. When the people of Israel left Egypt and crossed the sea, pretty soon, even though they'd left slavery behind, they were saying, oh, we want to be back in Egypt. Oh, for the leeks and garlic of Egypt. At least we knew what we were meant to be doing there. And it might be for us that we kind of say, oh, for the simplicity of lockdown. Remember those first balmy days at the end of March when at least we knew what we were meant to be doing, when everything was shut down and it was straightforward. Everything now feels so complicated. Now, 
we're going to start this story of the Exodus in Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy is a second telling of the story. We get the story told in the books of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, and then in Deuteronomy, the story is told again. And we have Moses, the great leader and lawgiver of the people of Israel, um, telling the story again. This happens just as the people are about to finally enter the land, but he starts at the beginning of that adventure, and he stands up, and Deuteronomy 1 He says to them, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance. Now Horeb is also, uh, we think it's the same place as Mount Sinai. And this is a really significant place. This is a place where before the Exodus, God had appeared to Moses in the burning bush. Remember that story? Moses wandering around looking after sheep, sees a burning bush, goes to see what's going on, and God speaks to him and calls him. That happened at Horeb. And then when the people have come out of Egypt and are in the wilderness, when they have nothing to drink, it's at Horeb that Moses strikes a rock and water pours out of the rock. And it's also here that God gives Moses the law by which the people are to live. So these really key moments in the story all happen at this place, but they're not meant to stay there. And, the God, and God speaks to them and says, you've stayed here long enough, break camp and advance. They're not meant to stay at Horeb, they're meant to advance and enter the land. Now the tragedy was their failure to obey God, and they didn't enter the land then because they were too fearful and they gave in to grumbling and moaning and complaining and spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And I don't want us to do the equivalent of that. This is a time when we could easily wander. It's a time when we could feel pretty aimless and pretty purposeless. That's an easy feeling to have at this time. It's also a time when we could easily grumble. And there's certainly, I think, an increasing groundswell of grumbling uh, in our society at large at the moment. It'd be easy for us to do that as well. We could easily waste time. We could easily lose ground. We could easily miss out on the blessings that God has for us. And this is what Paul says about this, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. What Paul is saying is here is don't let what happened to them happen to you. Think about all that you've experienced, think about all that you've received, think about all that you've heard. The Israelites, they had Moses to lead them. They had the presence of God evidence amongst them in the, in the, in the cloud that led them. They, they passed through the Red Sea out of Egypt into the wilderness. God provided for them miraculously food and water in the desert. Now, we have had the equivalent experiences, actually a true and better experiences in Christ. That Christ now is that living water. Christ is that spiritual food. We know the presence of God dwelling not as a cloud, but within us by the power of the person of the Holy Spirit. So don't let what happened to them happen to you. 
At the end of the 40 years in the wilderness, Moses stands up before the people and he tells them the story. He tells them their story again of these past 40 years. He's seeking to prepare them for their entry into the land. They're meant to come out of the wilderness at last. But then if you read through the story in Deuteronomy, there's a twist because you get to Deuteronomy 24 and it's not Moses who leads the people actually into the land. What happens in Deuteronomy 24 is that Moses dies. And then things get a whole lot more complicated for the people of Israel. And I think we can easily see how this applies to us now. At the start of lockdown, things were simple. There were huge demands placed upon all of us, upon the whole of our society in terms of you must do this and you mustn't do, mustn't do these things. But it, in a sense, it was simple. We all heard the message every day. The message was simple. Stay home, protect the NHS, save lives. That was easy to understand. We all knew what that meant. Don't go out. Don't do more than your one trip out a day. Don't go out for your uh, exercise for longer than an hour. Stay home, protect the NHS, save lives. The, kind of the most complicated thing was arguing about whether it should be stay home or stay at home, depending on what you think about the grammar. But it was simple. We all knew what we were meant to do. And then things started to ease, and the simple message of stay home, protect the NHS, save lives changed to the slightly more confusing message of stay alert, control the virus, and save lives. And we began to ask the questions, what does that mean? What does that mean in terms of who I'm allowed to see? What does that mean in terms of how close I'm allowed to stand to somebody? What does that mean in terms of whether I should wear a face mask or not wear a face mask? And it's something like that in this story of the Israelites. When God called Moses to lead the people of Israel out of slavery, it was a huge challenge. Get this people out of slavery in Egypt and lead them to the promised land. But in a sense, it was also simple. It was very clear. Get the people out of Egypt, teach them the law, save lives. Once Moses is dead and they actually get to the land, things become a whole lot more complicated. In Deuteronomy 31, Moses says that Joshua is going to be his successor. And then we read that God speaks to Moses and Joshua and he tells them that when the people enter the land, everything is going to go horribly wrong. And I think about this from Joshua's perspective, about the least encouraging thing you could hear. You're getting teed up for this amazing job promotion from Moses' assistant now to president of the people. And God says, you're going to lead them into the promised land and everything is going to be terrible. Not very encouraging. And then Deuteronomy 34, Moses dies. And Joshua's left in charge. Then turn the page to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 1. And God says to Joshua, Moses is dead. I mean, it's such a funny verse. It's like, yeah, I kind of, I spotted that, Lord. No. Moses is dead. Get on with it. Lead this people out of the wilderness into the land. Now, Moses had a really clear end point, a clear goal. Get the people out of slavery, rescue them from slavery. Joshua's job description was much more fuzzy. Get into the land, but then how to live in the land was actually more complex than getting to the land in the first place. It's how it is for us. Lockdown was clear. Now things are much more fuzzy. 
I think a, an example for more recent history can help illustrate this. Um, everybody is familiar with the story of Nelson Mandela. Anybody under the age of 30 wouldn't remember Mandela as a leader because of the, of the time scales. But even if you're under 30, you know who Nelson Mandela is. You have a sense of what he did. I wonder how many people remember who came after Mandela as president of South Africa. I'd ask you to shout it out, but we're not meant to shout out. Uh, it's Tabo Mbeki. And Mbeki seemed to be the perfect man to take over from Mandela. He'd been trained for years and years. He'd been at the center of the struggle uh, against apartheid. He was intellectually smart and politically smart. And he had, seemed to have every qualification, every connection. But actually, his, his time as president ended in disgrace. He was actually kicked out of the presidency by his party before his term of office was meant to come to an end. That's a complicated story, but part of that is that, in a sense, Mandela had a, a huge challenge, apartheid, but it was very clear, we need to end apartheid. Tabra and Becky, who had to pick up after Mandela, had a much more complicated job. Yeah, apartheid's gone, but we're still confronted with racist legacy and histories in South Africa. There's still desperate poverty amongst most of the population. There's a incredible AIDS epidemic raging in the nation. Crime levels are through the roof. The job that Mbeki had was not nearly so clear and in many ways far more complex than the one that Mandela had. And for us, it's a bit like that now. Lockdown is finished, but everything suddenly seems much more complicated, much more fuzzy, much more gray. There's a whole bunch of challenges and complexity, uncertainty ahead of us. Here's some of the things I think that we're being faced with at the moment. One issue is that everyone has an opinion on everything. And everyone's opinion is different. And even within the leadership team of Gateway Church, that would be true. That within the team, there'd be some who'd want to be moving much faster in what we do. And others who'd want to move more slowly. As well as the practical uh, reality that some members of the team are still having to shield. And we're having to work out how to accommodate that. And when everybody has an opinion and everybody's opinion is a bit different, that creates all kinds of potential for tensions and divisions. That's an area of complexity and challenge we're going to have to face. Another area is that different churches are moving at different speeds in terms of how we do things. And that can create tensions even between churches. There will be some churches in Paul who will probably be unhappy that we're doing what we're doing tonight. There are other churches who think we're not moving fast enough. That can create tensions between churches, between pastors. It can mean that there are people who are members of churches who start to look at another church and think, I prefer how they're handling it. Perhaps I'll hop over to that church. And that's not how it should be. For us here at Gateway, we have the practical challenge that we have two buildings, which is great, which is a blessing from God, but then that can create all kinds of issues about which building we use and when we use it and what we use it for, why we're here at 502 tonight rather than at Alder Road and all those kind of things. We've got the challenges and complexities of our online life and our physical life. Tonight, 30 or so of us physically in the room together, there'll be more people, far more people watching when this goes up onto YouTube. That presents some challenges. It might be there's people 
who are not here tonight who would have liked to have been. It might be there's people who are watching on YouTube as now, hello, who think that we shouldn't be doing this. There's all kinds of different uh, perspectives and opinions upon this. There's the challenges of doing stuff online that we've been so grateful for that we've been able to put so much online, but there's also the challenge that it might mean we're making consumer Christians rather than disciples. All these complexities. There's a huge complexity of we, we just don't know how things are going to play out over the next few weeks and months. When are we going to be allowed to sing together? I don't know. How might we handle kids' ministry if we start to gather together more? I don't know. When can we start Sunday meetings again? I don't know. How can we do communion together? I don't know. There's the uncertainty that's caused by having to make decisions fast. Things change, and we change week by week in terms of what we're doing, and that can be unsettling for people. And then at a national level, there's all the challenges and uncertainty. I mean, what's, what's going to happen to the economy? When will work get back to normal? Will there even be work to get back to? And all these uncertainties, these complexities, these challenges, it creates a perfect kind of context for us to mess things up. And that's what the Israelites did. They were faced with complexity. They were faced with challenge. And Again and again, they messed it up as they were in the wilderness for 40 years. Again and again, they messed it up. And they come into the land and they mess it up more. And here in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul identifies four particular areas where the Israelites mess things up and warns us not to mess up in these areas as well. And I plan to dig more into these things in the next few weeks, but just to quickly highlight them now. The, the first area where they messed up and where Paul warns us not to is idolatry. said that the human heart is an idol factory. We create idols in our hearts all the time. Idolatry is when we put our trust, we put our hope in anything other than God. And again and again, the Israelites did that and we do that easily. And it'd be easy for us to do that now as well. We could put our, our hope, our trust in all kinds of things other than the Lord. We need to keep looking to God and trusting him. Another area where the Israelites messed up and Paul warns us is the area of sexual immorality. I wonder over lockdown, do you think porn use has decreased or increased? This is an issue for us, sexual immorality. One of the things that sexual immorality offers is a kind of escapism. I think that's a large part of the appeal actually is an escapism. You can kind of think you can lose your troubles in sex. That's what the Israelites did and found that it didn't free them and liberate them. It actually trapped them and destroyed them. We need to be on our guard on this as well. The third area that Paul identifies is that they tested God. To test God is a failure of belief where we just don't believe God. And it might be that at this time we struggle to believe God. It might be that we look at our nation, at the world, at maybe our own lives and say, God, where are you? Where have you been? What are you doing? And we start to test God and put conditions upon him and say, Lord, unless this happens, unless it happens in this way, then I'm not going to follow you anymore. I'm not going to believe you. And we mustn't test God. And then the fourth area that Paul identifies, and this really is the, I think the key one, this is the killer, is grumbling. 
grumbling. The people grumbled. And if you read through the story, read Deuteronomy, the problem again and again is the people grumbled. God, through Moses, led us out of Egypt, but we preferred it back there. We preferred making bricks 16 hours a day because we had leeks to eat. And all we have to eat here is manna scooped up off the floor. And at least we knew what we meant. To, at least we, slaves, we knew what we had to do. We knew we had to turn up at work at four in the morning, get flogged, make some bricks, finish at 10 o'clock at night, go home and sleep for a few hours. It was simple. Now we're wandering around in the wilderness and who knows what's going to happen? And who's this Moses guy anyway? And he keeps disappearing up mountains and talking to God. And what's that all about? And we're left here. And they grumbled and moaned and complained. And as a consequence, that generation who left Egypt never entered the promised land. Instead, they died in the wilderness. We need to be careful that we don't become grumblers. Grumbling is so destructive so easy. I know myself how easy it is just to start grumbling. Oh, this and oh, that and ah. Oh. What's the antidote to these things? Well, Moses is dead, but Jesus Christ is alive. And there's a repeated command that God gives to Moses and Joshua, especially Joshua, at the end of Deuteronomy and then at the beginning of the book of Joshua. And the command that God gives to Joshua is this, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Now, how is Joshua meant to be strong and courageous? And why should he be strong and courageous? And the answer God gives is, because I am with you. Be strong and courageous because I am with you. And we've got to believe that for us too here at Gateway Church. Whether it's the 30 of us at 502 this evening or whoever is watching online later in the week or next week, we've got to believe that God is with us. The theme for this year, the thing at the beginning of the year we said we wanted to particularly focus on and lean into and think about was faithful. God is faithful and we're called to be faithful and live in faith and act in faith and act faithfully. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 Paul says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Whatever our temptations may be, grumbling, testing God, sexual immorality, idolatry, whatever it may be, we can rely on the faithfulness of God. And as life gets increasingly complex, and I think it is going to get more complex, not more straightforward over the next few weeks, we need to rely on the faithfulness of God. We need to be strong and courageous. And we need to prove the genuineness of our faith. These things are given us as an example don't make the mistakes they did. Gateway Church, let's not make the mistakes of the people of Israel. Let's be strong and courageous. Let's be faithful. Amen? Amen.